For ordinary UK investors, getting direct exposure to the North Sea is proving trickier. Last month, Royal Dutch Shell sold 10 producing fields to a private consortium. News swiftly followed by Ithaca Energy's announcement that it would be taken over by Israeli conglomerate and minority shareholder Delek. But stock pickers scanning the markets of domestic oil producers still have options. I'm Alex Newman, a natural resources writer at the Investors Chronicle, and today I'm joined by Graeme Stewart, Chief Executive of Ferro Petroleum. Perhaps the only UK producer to emerge from the last few years of depressed oil prices with both a larger asset base and net cash on the balance sheet. So Graham, thanks so much for joining us. One big reason for this renewed corporate interest in the North Sea, I suppose, is the cost cutting that has gone on in the industry and the profitability that now oil prices are higher uh, that we should be seeing. So how much stress have low oil prices placed on the North Sea since 2014? And has there been anything that's been lost in that stress? Well, a considerable amount of stress has been placed on uh, the players in the North Sea. We've seen companies uh, go bust. We've seen a lot of activity slow down. Investment has slowed down enormously. Um, We've seen a little consolidation, I suppose. Um, But you've certainly seen a growing number of drilling rigs being stacked or in many cases scrapped and a lot of stress on the supply chain, which I think is something that ought to worry us in that many companies have been put out of business. Um, The services and supplies that we've grown used to being readily available um, may not be as readily available in the future as they were. Um, But that said, you've got far greater efficiency in the supply chain now as a result, um, and that's come from a lot of hard work um, between the players um, looking to do things like share costs or simplify um, and certainly reduce costs overall. Uh, so I think that you're know, having a lot of gains, um, but certainly a, a lot of um, collateral damage, I would say, as well. Right. So, I mean, last year you put out a trading statement that your operating expenditure was about $24 a barrel. Um, in the past, in 2014, it was $33 and $42 in 2013. For investors wanting to understand what makes up these costs, I mean, can you explain why they were, why they were you know, quite a bit higher before how did you get costs down? I mean, you've talked about some of the, you know, the effects that lower oil prices have had on the, the industry, and presumably that's that's fed through to, to lower rates for some of your services contractors. And also just a little bit about what confidence investors can place in your cost profile and that they won't jump now that Brent is, you know, is tracking slightly higher. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting that um, this term unit operating cost is, has come to the fore that uh, was prior to the the oil price um, fall, wasn't really discussed very much. What you actually saw at the time of high oil prices was that costs crept up and up. And in fact, it was very difficult for companies to make a margin. Uh, So even with high oil prices, many companies weren't making much money, uh, which sounds um, extraordinary, really. Um, But now the focus is very much on profitability. And unit operating costs is is a key component of that from a cash perspective. Uh, there's another term, full cycle cost, which is your full investment, and do you actually make a return? That's a lot of a lot less emphasis is placed on that. Uh, not surprisingly, because um, many projects that have been invested in uh, will probably not make much of a return anytime soon. Um, but that as, as background, um, I think how how have companies got their costs down? Uh, obviously, it, it is through pressure um, on um, the whole supply chain in, in large part. 
But it is the points that I made earlier on um, uh, simplification uh, and sharing. So, for example, from our perspective, we may uh, do things like share helicopters that we might not have done prior to that, uh, simplify offshore maintenance op- activity. Um, um, one example, actually, is rather than using helicopters, we've used a, a, this principle called walk-to-work, which is using a ship with a very sophisticated, heave-compensated um, gantry that you can walk from the ship to the facility uh, without the need for a helicopter. Things like that are being introduced that can help save cost. But also what you find is, uh, and have found in the past couple of years, is that um, in order to maximise uh, revenues, companies have basically um, uh, postponed activity on some of their wells, some of their, their facilities, and produced as much as possible. And that means you're postponing an investment programme which may subsequently lead to reduced production. But that gets your, your cash flow up. Um, and that's what you've seen is, and often do in these cycles, is that production actually increases quite significantly in times of low, low, co- low oil price. But of course, the you know the, ultimately the best way to get your uh, unit opex down is to produce more. Um, so from our perspective, we we are producing more, and have have done this through various means through investment in in uh, further wells, but also through acquisition. Um, and uh, it's certainly our goal to keep unit operating costs down to a low level, and we want to get them below actually twenty dollars a barrel. Um, so you know that's quite a target. But it's one that we think is should be achievable, and it one that ensures that our business is sustainably profitable. So, one of those acquisitions in the last year was the the assets you bought from Dong. Can you just talk me about how you you, you came to uh, came to get hold of those assets and and what they do now for your your cash flows? I mean, with any of these acquisitions, you generally speaking, you'll you'll look at a, a large number of potential opportunities before you land on one that suits. So, uh, this, like so many others. Um, it was a was a, a journey that took that started quite a long time ago, um, in terms of discussing the potential. Um, but of course, I think with Dong's planned and well publicised IPO uh, last year, there was a, a need for them to rationalise their portfolio, um, and we were in a position to assist them with that. Um, the assets that we acquired for them from them were all of their oil assets in Norway, including all of their operated assets. So we were in a position to to do that transaction uh, possibly uh, uniquely in that we were we were able to to step in as an operator. Fear is a production operator that's you know quite a rare competence to have. It, generally speaking as a small company um we operate in the UK. Um we now operate in Norway. So we were in a good position to take on these assets. And, um, yeah, we were very happy with the way it went. You know, we're still very happy with mm. what has happened. And in terms of what that's added to your, you know, your cash generation, your, your production's obviously up quite by a sizable amount. Can you talk a, l- a little bit about the uh, operating costs that came with the assets you acquired from Dong? Uh, yeah, the operating costs are, for the, that portfolio, slightly lower than our, prior to, our portfolio prior to that. So you average down. And what we have going forward is uh, an investment program in um, in those new assets, some of those new assets, in addition to our existing um, assets, which which will lead to um, a further cost reduction, uh, unit operating cost, if you like. So, I mean, if for a new investor or uh, someone who's come come to look at Faro afresh, you have about sixty licenses ranging from exploration to to producing and, and appraisal. 
that can be quite a daunting number of assets to to sift through. If you were going to highlight a few which speak to you know the the the, the core uh, the core assets of 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 Pharaoh's portfolio, would you which ones would you single out? Well, I guess one important point to make is that the um, the investment program that we have beyond the that in the in the new assets that we acquire from Dong is principally investing in in fields that we've found so our exploration program has led to discoveries those discoveries are now moving forward as developments so as a general point you know we're very excited about that i think it obviously proves the model works and in norway um exploration is one of those things that um uniquely um is uh, attracts a very strong fiscalist incentive from the norwegian government uh, the Norwegian government encourages exploration by paying back to the company 78% of the cost that they've incurred in their exploration program. That encourages a lot more activity than you would normally expect. And it's allowed us for the past um, 10 or more years to invest quite heavily in exploration and to see a positive outcome. So to highlight one, uh, last year we made a, a large discovery called Brasse. Brasse is a uh, an oil and gas discovery. It's um, been reported um, as between 40 and 80 million barrels of oil equivalent recoverable. Uh, we have half of it, 50%, and we operated the well. So we're the license operator. Um, that is a very exciting discovery, probably the most significant we've made. It's large and it's also close to three existing facilities that could be used as a host facility for a subsea development, which means a highly economic development and relatively simple, given that it's all subsea. Uh, so I'd, I would highlight that as probably the most exciting project we have today. And, and it's one that we're progressing with this year with a, an appraisal well to narrow down that uh, the resource range before we move, make a move towards development. Right. Scrum, you've been with the with uh, with Pharaoh. I think you found you helped found the company in in 1998. Looking to the next two decades, are you nervous at all about the reserves base and the potential the potential legislative hits from climate change uh, uh, legislation, which which may strand? You know, we've, talked, we've heard a bit about stranded assets and how some of those some of those reserves and resources might not be able to be extracted. Um. That's always a concern that you will have stranded assets. There always have been, and it's all down to economics at the end of the day. Mm. And the economics depend on so many different factors, um, fiscal factors as well as proximity to existing infrastructure, availability of infrastructure, capacity in, in existing infrastructure such as pipelines. Um, and it's all in many ways interlinked. Um, so, you know, I think um, that said... My view is the demand for oil will actually, um, to an extent, outstrip supply in the relatively near term. And I think we will see a a recovery in the oil price. And I think that will be sustainable to a level that will allow continuing investment in the sector. And we've seen uh, a decline in that investment uh, throughout the world in recent times. But I think that demand demand is is so significant that you will find or will become so significant um, that that you will find um, many of the fields that have perhaps lain undeveloped and dormant will have an opportunity again. But I think uh, that still has a lot to do with uh, with politics. Right. Um, so we shall see. 
Right. So you you've you've emerged from this downturn in you know very good very good shape to uh, to greet that that potential rise in oil prices that you were talking about and the and the, the the you know the falling supply or the maturity of some of the the larger oil fields. Um, so you've got nine. You know, at the end of the year, you, you, your training statement recently said you have ninety seven million pounds uh, net cash, and and you've built your you've built your asset base. Many investors are familiar with the likes of your sort of North Sea peers like Premier Oil and Enquest. I'm not going to ask you to to comment on on, on those peers specifically, um, but companies whose valuations are now comparable to to Faro's, they might wonder. You know, if it comes down to a little bit of luck and luck and timing. I was wondering, you know, to what degree do you think Faro's Faro's survival owes, you know, an aversion to large multi multi billion dollar projects, and 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 the way you've positioned your portfolio is always going to serve a company of your size better, you know, if if oil prices do fall. Yeah, <clears throat> well, was it they say the harder you try, the luckier you get? We've been doing this quite a long time, um, our team, and uh, have seen cycles over the years, and I think one of the things you learn. Um, is to look after your balance sheet uh, and and treat it with great respect. And one of the elements of that is um, is gearing and exposure to heavy capital projects where there there can be cost overruns, and you can have changes, of course, in the commodity price, which change the actual debt capacity within those assets or your assets. And and I think we've seen the result of that for a few companies. So we we have something of an aversion to overgearing and to significant imbalance by investing in one project rather than a portfolio project. So we like to spread our risk and we like to maintain um, a modest level of gearing in the company. And I think that that approach, that policy has really served us well. Right. So one one big field, the the Stellar field, which is about to come online, uh, is operated by Ithaca Energy. That company, as we spoke about earlier, is now being acquired. I mean, were you surprised by by that deal, or could you see could you see it coming? Well, I think it was probably flagged really um, some time ago when uh, when Delek made their investment in the company, and they made it clear that um, their intention was to grow in the North Sea. So that yeah, was no real surprise. Right. Delic as well. I mean, obviously, it's, it should be noted that they they took a, a stake in Faro at Christmas. Should investors assume then that you're the you're the next target? Well, they have taken a stake in us, but there's a very significant difference in that stake. They they acquired theirs in the market. In fact, they took out um, Dana Petroleum, a previously uh, long term holder in us. Um, I think it all it really does is to demonstrate their belief in in us and in the sector and the North Sea. Um, and I think you know they're a, a well-financed company with um, with focus on growth. So we're looking forward to their their support going forward. I mean, were Delic or, or anyone else to make a, an offer, and we've we've seen uh, you know some interest from China buying up uh, sort of mid-tier UK oil and gas companies. Would you want a, a larger premium applied to your share price, or could you you know if if uh, in in the event of any offer to the one that Delic gave to, to Ithaca you're speculating that uh, were we to be bid for I can assure you we would um, do everything we can in the event that we were bid for to ensure we had the very highest possible price paid for us so sticking with the M&A theme I was wondering Graham what you, you made of Shell's recent disposal as well and uh, do you think do you see the, the large oil majors committed to the North Sea or, or is this now a space for 
either private consortiums or UK-only operators? Well, we have seen a progressive move from oh, by the majors uh, to, to either exit or, or partially exit in the North Sea. But, of course, the North Sea is made up of different countries, the UK and Norway being the principal players, but also Denmark and mm. Holland. Um, I would say that the UK is, is much more mature than Norway and um, is attracting perhaps less interest among the majors than it than uh, than Norway. Norway is has still got a very strong major presence, um, although we have seen some moves there as well. So I think you know it's quite common in uh, mature basins to see a transition from majors to other companies, smaller companies, large independents, perhaps NOCs, and then smaller independents. And the reason for that principally is is scale. And it's it's also focus um, among small companies. It's it's easier to focus on a, a a narrower portfolio and to create value than it is often for a, for a large company to achieve that that has perhaps a global portfolio to to worry about. So that transition, uh, I think we're seeing a wave of that transition uh, go through the UK and Norway. Um, a sort of a desire among several companies to trans transfer their assets to others for whom those assets will create more value mm. one i mean that's it. on the asset side on the liability side as well you've you know shell and others have these huge cleanup uh, costs that they may be facing in in coming years does Faro have a, 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 a on your balance sheet do you have liabilities for you know cleanup costs you 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 may have in the in in the coming decades we do um, quite limited, right. um, and we've done that very uh, consciously. Uh, it is difficult for you to take to drag around with you liabilities um, for the future if they if they're significant. Um, partially because um, providing security, financial security, for that cleanup is something that often eats into the company's debt capacity so our ability to borrow from the banks um so we've we've kept that at a at a low level um and uh, i think that's an important factor of, of of the company going forward but of course you know the majors and others are all looking to offload their uh, decommissioning costs or their cleanup costs wherever they can uh that that's going to be quite difficult for them right and just finally uh, as per your re- your recent trading update, you've you've talked about now you're you're in a major growth phase and you want to hit forty to fifty thousand barrels a day of production over the next five years. Can you just talk me through, in a nutshell, uh, how you how you're going to get to to that level of production, Graham? Well, we have quite a significant portfolio. We we were producing, um, you know, just last month over seventeen thousand barrels of oil equivalent a day. So it's roughly three times that over the next five years. Now, um, we have a portfolio of development activity ahead of us, a number of fields, um, two of which we've begun already, all in Norway. And those fields that we have alone will allow us to deliver that that sort of level, forty to 50,000 barrels of oil equivalent a day. But in addition, we have um, a, a very active effort underway to acquire further assets, so it's most likely going to be a combination of existing organic um, investments as well as acquisitions from other companies. And indeed, our, our aspiration may well exceed that that level, depending on how uh, how we see the um, the uh, M and A market, you know, the the market for for acquisitions going forward. 
Excellent. Well, we'll be keenly following you. And Graham, I just want to say thanks very much for um, coming in to talk with me. You've been listening to the Extraction Podcast. And for more audio from the IC, go to the Investors Chronicle website or the IC page on Acast, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.